Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today, we're going to talk about alcohol, which is something a lot of people like to talk about and a lot of people like to drink. We have, as usual, the live studio audience from the Upgrade Collective, which is my membership and mentorship group where I am teaching a lot of people every single week, my books and everything. It's a vibrant community where I think we've answered every question anyone's ever asked in our private groups. So if you really want to go deep with me personally and with my team on biohacking and learning all of the stuff that I've ever written and talked about in a structured format with the team, Go to OurUpgradeCollective.com and come hang out with us. It's so much fun. It's been inspiring for me this year. And that's why I invited members of the Upgrade Collective to be in the live audience. So you get early access to these and you get to ask questions of our guests at the end of every show. Kind of the live studio audience don't know what they're going to say. Now, I mentioned alcohol. Our guest today is Bill Moses, who's the founder of Flying Embers, which is an innovation lab that's looking at making alcohol better for you. We're talking about hard kombucha, hard seltzer, and fermented botanical brews, sort of going back to the very old days of alcohol, where if you were in, say, England 400 years ago, you wouldn't drink water because parasites would kill you. So you drink beer, (laughs) and you might get some B vitamins that way as well. And so I'm not ever going to be one to tell you alcohol is good for you. I know that the alcohol industry has been really trying for years to uh, falsify studies to say, oh, just, you know, get drunk every night and you'll live longer. And like, guys, didn't you learn from big tobacco? It doesn't work like that. That said, most people listening to this right now uh, do drink on occasion. And I've written for years, how do you do harm reduction? But part of it is what do you drink? What do you choose to drink? Uh, So I found a guy. Bill here uh, helped to build the first certified organic winery in Southern California called Casa Barranca. And he was a former chairman and co-founder of Cavita Probiotic Drink, uh, which is a very well-known probiotic beverage that Pepsi bought. So it's a small, hippie California brand that sold in 20,000 stores. And he's also a biohacker health guy. So Bill, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Good to be here. How's that for an info or for an intro? Biohacker health guy. Well, you know that's uh, that that could cause some controversy among some of my peer group, but I I think I can go with it. <laughs> Dude, you started a, a a probiotic beverage company. I'm surprised you even shower. I, I mean, do you shower? <laughs> I do. Uh, well, at least once a week. At least once a week. <laughs> there we go. Okay, All right. you know. uh, but yeah, no, we. Um, I think I think look coming from coming from uh, New York to California some 20 some years ago and getting involved in, you know, the alternative health and living lifestyle uh, here in Ojai, California. I got a new way in, a new view in on, on, on how to live and how to really um, take care of yourself. And out of that uh, journey, um, I found myself into fermenting uh, organic uh, grapes and making sulfate-free wine and writing white papers about what's what's not in the what's what's in the wine that's not on your label and getting really into testing um, and cultivating uh, culture and product to make sure that it is what we think it is and it's the best it could be. So you long-standing winery background, long-standing fermentation background. Uh, which is different because, yeah, you can ferment wine. Um, but there's a big difference between organic stuff and 
probiotics. Um, this is a, a true story. Um, I interviewed at Gala Winery in Modesto, California for my first job out of college and to work in the ID department. And they said, we're not going to hire you because we know that as soon as we train you, you'll take the training and then go get a job that pays more elsewhere. But I almost went to work you know, making million gallon vats of you know, stainless steel vats of wine and realized it's such a far cry from what you would do in an organic winery. It's almost just a different product. Not to pick on Gallo. I mean, it's wine, but there's additives and stuff. So you you took all that history, all that background, both from non-alcoholic and alcoholic. And right in the middle of the 2017 fires across California, you started... Uh, your current Flying Embers <laughs> company. Right. Yeah. Did the name Flying Embers come from the fire or is that just a yeah. coincidence? Yeah, no, it actually did. Did the name Flying Embers come from the fire or is that just a yeah. coincidence? Yeah, no, it actually did. You know, when okay. we're sitting here sort of uh, fighting the fire, dealing with what was happening at the time, the largest fire in the country and you know, when the first responders were on the property and spending time, energy day after day with us, uh, I really got uh, a deeper view in and a real appreciation for what they're doing. And when I was watching the embers literally speckle, speckle the, the hillside, that sort of like amazing, almost transformational sort of experience, I just went, wow, flying embers. If we could emulate that in a quote unquote, better for you, alcohol product, then we might really do something that, that in whole is a little, is a little bit more desirable than what is in the marketplace. And that's where flying numbers came from. The idea that, all right, I, I'm going to have something alcoholic tonight and I can, you know, get the bright blue or green artificial flavor, sugar, you know, hard stuff, or I can get a mass market beer or whatever. I could buy some wine that does or doesn't have stuff in it. Those are generally what, what people think about. Uh, of course, there's artisanal whiskey and, and things like that, but not a lot of people think about, oh, I'm going to go get a hard kombucha because I'm tough. <laughs> have, you, have you had people, I mean, do people even know this stuff exists? <laughs> Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, it's a category that's really kind of growing and, and taking off. And I think the, uh, the you know, the non-elk kombucha space is now trending around a billion dollars with a 20% growth. Uh, and so a lot of the non-elk kombucha drinkers where they have had the controversy of, is there alcohol in it? Is there no alcohol in it? You know, and spending years trying to keep the alcohol out of it. Some, you know, the, trans, uh, the translation into a hard kombucha I think is readily available to a lot of non-alk kombucha drinkers and growing. So yeah, it's actually a category that's, um, that's pretty, that's growing pretty rapidly. There was a time probably about five years ago where a major a kombucha brand got taken off the shelves and a bunch of retailers, because this is the weirdest thing. Like when stuff ferments, some small amount of alcohol forms and to get drunk, you'd have to drink like 18 of those kombuchas, which would make you throw up. Uh, like you couldn't drink 18 kombuchas, at least no one I know could, but it, it was legally um, absurd. Uh, so you're just like, okay, fine. Alcohol is going to form during kombucha. So let's just own that and make it an adult beverage. I, I kind of like that. It's, it's rolling with the way Mother Nature works versus, you know, a fantasy that, you know, Mother Nature is going to do things exactly according to a label when there's always variants. So 
Uh, so you, you've established the category and you've got people doing this. Do people you know, go to bars? I guess that's a loaded question given COVID. <laughs> but when people go to bars again or restaurants, is this the sort of thing that, that you see that we're going to be able to purchase alongside uh, it's, a it's, wine or something? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, right now uh, across, uh, let's just say, the, the coast, coastal regions, whether it's uh, in the East Coast, we're prominently on sale at Terrace Teeter, Publix, Wegmans, Total Wine. Um, we're seeing a on-premise draft program evolving. So out here in Southern California, you go to any um, pub or bar or tavern or even restaurant, and you're seeing almost, almost everywhere that's trending, a hard kombucha being offered. It's happening. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if... If we do end up getting a liquor license in Victoria, BC, I just opened my farm to table restaurant called Upgrade Cafe uh, about two weeks ago. And it's uh, it's based on the the Bulletproof Cafe, which is soon to be renamed the Upgrade Cafe down in Santa Monica. And uh, um, I would love to be able to do that. So it'd, it'd be really interesting to have that. But I don't have a liquor license yet because we're serving super healthy food. But look, if people want to have a drink with dinner, I'm not going to stop them. I'm just going to say, do it better. And I, I think this is a way to do it. What about the the weird stuff that grows in kombucha? I, I wrote an article on my blog a few years ago saying, well, there's weird stuff that's never been characterized growing in kombucha. Have you done some of the science to actually tell us what all is in there? Yeah, sure. So, um, so you know, our uh, we have uh, we have identified uh, identi- we have specific strains of, of bacteria. Uh, we've we've got a library of them. Um, you lyophilize them so that you you can pull them out of storage and use them. Uh, we manage against drift, but ultimately, yeah, we, you know, doing a a, a PCQR DNA test uh, called Scorpion test. You know, we you can get a view in on uh, the actual DNA of what it is, and inevitably, scobies get passed around. They ultimately drift. You ultimately get all sorts of lactose and molds and funguses and everything in a SCOBY. It is, it is not necessarily the cleanest, purest form of a culture because of the way it's handled. And to some, that's romantic, that's beautiful, that's au naturel. You know, we take a different view in. And our view in is that we really want to know what's in there. We really want to test it. And we really want to continue to maintain the integrity of the bacteria and the yeast that is fully clean and tested for mycotoxins and 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 all sorts of impurities. So yeah, we okay. do manage that. When I was a, a raw vegan, uh, I definitely had my scoby growing, and until one day I was growing some green and blue stuff on top. And I'm like, what do you do with a scoby when it's gone bad? Uh, I felt like do I have to give it a like a gravestone and bury? It? I felt like I was burying like an organ, and it was it's like poke it with a stick. It was, it was pretty horrifying. Um, so. I guess you don't have that problem because you're 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 handling yours better than I handled mine. Well, you know, I guess I, I think when you commercialize it, you gotta you have to maintain some level of integrity of quality, uh, or you end up with problems that many find in this uh, live organic cultured business, whether it's food or beverages. You gotta gotta stay on top of that stuff. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you you have a little bit more process, and I've been concerned about home brewing of kombucha. I mean, I've done it, so. You know, I, I have concerns. Doesn't mean I don't do stuff that I have concerns about. Risk reward. You're not probably going to die from drinking your own kombucha, so the, you know the risk is low. But 
Uh, I definitely know that that sometimes I've got vinegar and sometimes I've got other things. And we grew some with the kids a while ago as a project. But I don't think it's very sustainable to do it at home because you have to actually have a, a carefully controlled environment. So you've solved all that. You got something that's that's hard. Are there still live bacteria, or is there so much alcohol oh, yeah. that it killed all the bacteria? No, no, no. So so we have uh, Lidocetobacter. Uh, live bacillus coagulans, uh, Saccharomyces boulardii, and yeast that lives till really end of end of end of shelf life. So um, we find a way. Our IP, our I think trade secret is how do you make a kombucha, a hard kombucha, with the right amount of alcohol that really that isn't pasteurized, that ultimately can maintain integrity on the shelf with great organoleptics, without any bottle explosions or siring or spoilage. Um, and that's, I think that's our unique approach to this category that, um, that I think differentiates us. Okay. Saccharomyces boyardii is something that a lot of people don't know about. It's a species of yeast that eats bad yeast. It eats candida and it's used to reduce autoimmunity. And it's something that I've used in a home fermentation. You can actually add it to the ferment or you can take it orally. And it's something that helps a lot of people with leaky gut. So it's, it's kind of cool. Like, all right, I could have had a shot of something or I had a hard kombucha that actually had pro, uh, probiotics. We've had a couple interviews about bacillus coagulans, uh, which I think, isn't that a spore former? If, it's a, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a spore former that really maintains its integrity in an aqueous format. Most, uh, you know, most, uh, 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 let's say, beneficial bacteria is when you put it in water, it doesn't have much shelf life and isn't sustainable. Right. So the other thing that's great about the bacillus coagulant is that it really does help get the product fully dry. So a lot of the research is that it's not only a beneficial bacteria, it's not only a probiotic, but it really helps in the fermentation process. And all of our beverages, all of our drinks are have zero residual sugar. So it really kind of plays to that uh, important part of health, I think, which is sugar is not our friend. It's not so my this friend. Is, this is interesting. Some of the major brands I've seen out there uh, actually have meaningful, you know, eight, 10 grams of sugar uh, and like, oh, and half a bottle. And you're like, well, this is getting to be in the direction of soda and you don't necessarily want that. So you're saying, all right, zero sugar. So now you've got a trade-off. How much alcohol is in an average bottle? Well, well we, we have two two lines. We have one that's about four and a half percent alcohol and okay. one that's about, uh, let's say, six and a half percent to seven percent alcohol. So okay. we have two lines. So so, so let's assume you're drinking a four and a half percent. Now you end up doing this sort of uh, bulletproof diet math. Uh, and just to be clear, kombucha is on the suspect list of foods. Suspect means it might be okay, it might be innocent, it might be guilty for you. But now you're saying, okay, I got zero sugar, which is a benefit, right? But then you've got alcohol, and alcohol metabolizes before sugar and before ketones in the body, but not a lot of alcohol. It, it's only four and a half percent. So would I want four and a half percent alcohol versus a few grams of sugar or 10 grams of sugar? It depends on how alcohol affects my biology, right? If that much alcohol ruins my sleep and I see it on my sleep score, sorry, I need to cancel the alcohol out with some glutathione and some other stuff, or maybe it's just not going to work for me. Uh, but the next guy could sit down and be like, oh, are you kidding me? I, I can handle the alcohol just fine, but the sugar would mess me up. So you got to do the math. That's right. That's right. Okay. And there's zero carbs as well in our drinks. So zero carbs does, as well. So it's yeah, very yeah. keto compliant then. Right, okay. right. Totally. Uh, unlike most kombucha that's out there. So, or, yeah. Or. Yeah, well, and yeah, most, most yeah, kombuchas or any beer, right, for yeah. sure, for sure. 
Okay, so it's it, it's definitely more in that bulletproof compliant side of things. Except it has alcohol, which isn't good for you, but it's a little bit of right, alcohol. Right, right. And it's a social situation. You're probably not going to get drunk off the four and a half percent, and you're going to have to drink a six pack of the six and a half percent to really have much of an effect. How many people drink a six pack of flying embers at <laughs> one sitting? Listen, I'm not recommending drinking a six pack, and uh, but you know, you look. I mean, look, seriously, anybody that's into health and wellness that's looking for a libation of sorts, something to make them more relaxed, mitigate stress, whatever it might be, help with their cortisol, cortisone if it's if it's late at night. I don't know. I mean, one or one or two of these uh, that I've experienced, uh, someone that really has issues with inflammation is 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 not impactful as it relates to any sort of adverse effect that normally you get with drinking a couple of beers, a couple of cocktails, etc. So there really is a different experience, a higher vibrational sort of um, phenomena that goes on with this live fermented bacteria and healthy yeast that and and the adaptogens you know that we have in there that are much more bioavailable because of the dual, you know, process of, uh, of extraction, the dual extraction process with the alcohol, the ethanol, you know, you really do get the, uh, the, the, the most amount of polyphenols, et cetera. So at the end of the day, we all know that alcohol can really be impactful to one's health. And for those of us that like to have a, a drink, something that's healthy, I think this is the best way in. Um, and that's why I took, you know, 10 years to cultivate this. Uh, I, I wouldn't have had you on the show if I wasn't uh, inspired directionally by what you just said there. I, I got one more question, though. Uh, what about histamine? I, I have had some brands of, uh, of kombucha where I'll, I'll drink it. I'm like, man, like I'm puffing up after this thing. Are you controlling for that? Is that in yeah, there? Yeah, sure. You know, and we test, we do fusel alcohol testing as well to make sure there's no, you know, uh, methanol and other sorts of toxic alcohols. But absolutely, um, the, the bacteria and the yeast and the process will all yield histamines or no histamines. So everything that goes into it is um, quantified and qualified for its histamine production. And so we're histamine free 100%. So, so. That, that matters a lot. So, and, and the reason I'm asking these questions is the Upgrade Collective members are like, Dave, you've warned us about kombucha for years. But the reason I warn is that there's such a high variance across it. You, you never know what you're getting. Totally. Uh, and totally. in your case, you're like, well, I kind of have a little bit of a CV in kombucha. You're like a little bit of Kavita and a little bit of organic wine. So I, you're a, a believable source here, uh, at least uh, yeah. on my standard. <laughs> Thank you. And you spent some time on it and that answer, okay, you're not going to get a histamine response from it unless you're allergic to something else that's in it. And you're basically fermenting sugar and green tea that's as, correct. The, as and, the basic. And, and, and black tea. And we don't use and honey tea. and we don't use and honey, honey. Uh, for a you, reason because, you know, honey could harbor when diluted down mycotoxins. And so we, we consciously don't go that route. Um, and it's a traditional beverage that we try to bring to modern age in a way that that improves and could be of value. So, yeah. Sure. I actually like it that you don't use honey. And there are recipes that use honey. I forget the name for it. It's a slightly different name than kombucha. You would know what it is. 
Yeah, 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 Jung, or yeah, there's uh, yeah, Jung, oh, Jung, Jung, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the problem is, honey has antimicrobial properties, so you mix it in, you don't know what's going to happen because it depends on how much propolis and how much exactly you know, which pollen and all that. So I, I look, you're fermenting the sugar; it's a fuel source, uh, and it, is it organic sugar or is this corn? Oh yeah, yeah, it's 100 percent. Everything, all ingredients are 100 percent okay. certified organic. Yeah. So the, this is a high end thing, okay. And now our upgrade collective members are hitting me on the chat here and they're saying, tell us about the adaptogens and all that. I'm going to define adaptogen for listeners who don't know. These are herbs that you can use. They're originally used back in China and Russia, and they allow you to turn on stress response and turn off stress response more effectively and efficiently. So you don't stay stressed for a long period of time. And I take adaptogens every day. So what adaptogens did you add into this? Yeah, so um, we ferment this is part of the fermentation the primary fermentation process we have turmeric um you know we have ginseng and we have um uh turmeric ginseng uh we use astragalus in some of our uh local uh and uh, ginger and ginger so these are the adaptogens that we um we ferment in the in the scoby Okay, that's cool. Those are three very well-known adaptogens. And interestingly, astragalus is when you have huge amounts of it, more than you're going to get, uh, even if you were to eat a pound of it, uh, is one of the very advanced telomere lengthening supplements. It takes something like 45 pounds of astragalus. So it's got some interesting uh, powers, but at lower doses, astragalus uh, is just a well-known adaptogen. Yeah, and what's interesting about that is that you know, the FDA and the TTB are super uh, restrictive with regard to what you could put in alcohol beverage. It's really yeah. interesting. Like, we try and make it better. So the astragalus, we could we could only serve within uh, our state, which is California. As soon as you ship it across state lines, the FDA has uh, an issue because of uh, it's not FDA grass. It's got to be FDA grass. And there's no astragalus out there that I'm aware of. That is FDA grass. They're self-grass, but not FDA grass, generally regarded as safe. So, you know, one of the projects that we're looking at is some of these um, botanicals and adaptogens that aren't FDA grass uh, to actually go about and, and, and applying for FDA grass so that we could put them in and ship them across state lines. Uh, this is something that a lot of listeners probably don't know much about, but the generally regarded as safe standard is so floppy and subject to manipulation um, wh how do you know something's generally regarded? Well, normally you could ask around and anyone listening to this show with a bit of a background, but well, of course, astragalus is safe. It's been used for a long time. There's tons of studies. What's the issue? It, it's thousands of years. But then a regulatory authority would be like, well, we don't regard it. So therefore it's not generally so. So then you go through this weird legal discussion that could take years to try and convince bureaucrats that something that is generally regarded as safe is actually generally regarded as safe. And in the meantime, if you sell it, you get in trouble. And I, I've had, you know, I, I've just seen so many powerful things not be available to consumers because of that weird roadblock. And I didn't realize astragalus was even not on the grass list, given that it's been a supplement for so long. Yeah, yeah. So uh, same thing was really interesting. We had the same the same issue issue with uh, ginseng, and ginseng's been used forever. And the, uh, and, the and, and the and the and the we were we were prohibited by in a partnership with uh, another company, New Belgium, by Whole Foods to say you can't use ginseng. And then we had to go through a long process to to ultimately prove that ginseng does have approval with FDA, even though it's not FDA grass. And so it's a, it's a bureaucratic mess when it comes down to some of these great ingredients that, um, 
aren't necessarily uh, approved yet for for use. And it's especially odd because things that you can buy in a capsule and totally just buy off the shelf, almost no standards. As soon as you want to add it to mayonnaise or to kombucha, it, all of a sudden it becomes a food and, and then you can't do that. And so I'm, I would just say, if you're wondering why your food is expensive, this is one of the reasons, like the level of garbage that food companies go through that adds zero safety, zero health, zero value, lots of attorneys, lots of consultants, lots of meetings, and drives up the price of everything. This is going on in the background. And, and I don't think food guys like you and me or beverage guys that we, we, you don't disclose this publicly very much, but you're fighting the good fight to say we have a right to have ginseng in our tea if we want to. But why do we have to fight over that? Aren't there bigger things we could fight over? It's <laughs> amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, um, we also have uh, you know we use reishi. Our beers are, are are bittered with reishi and lion's mane, and we use ashwagandha. So, and we get a, you know whether they're you know fruit body uh, extractions, beta glucans. So you know we're trying to use the best that's available out there to really, let's just say offset some of the some of the not so great properties for you in alcohol so at the end of the day you put it on a, a scale i know that i'm a, i want to have a, a little bit of fun i want to have a, a drink i want to relax whatever it might be and we know that the alcohol could cause some inflammation well is there an offset is there something uh that may offset some of it and that's that that's sort of the way i rationalize this as better for you alcohol i i I think you actually have a pretty good case for that. Uh, I'm still not going to say alcohol is good for you, but I also, look, cheesecake isn't necessarily right. good for you, but right. most people on the call have had some cheesecake in the last couple of years. And look, it's okay. Just have a cheesecake that's not made out of weird crap that's at least made out of real cheese and real cake, right? So it's directionally better than you would have done before is what you want to do. And I've got a bit more of a, a nerd question for you here. Some of the supplement brands uh, that I've used in the past and probably still use today, they'll actually use usually a yeast fermentation with, say, a B vitamin or a mineral that you see these chelated minerals chelated with yeast to increase bioavailability. When you are fermenting adaptogens like this, do you have any data or science that says they're more or less bioavailable? Hmm. Uh, well, there is science to say that uh, ethanol does do a better fat extraction yeah. on certain on curcumin. So curcumin is, you know, I mean, you could do a water, you could like tea, soak it in water, but there is science to say that the ethanol, when you ferment it, makes the curcumin much more bit bioavailable. So the science is out there. There is substantiation documents that show uh, an ethanol-based extraction is in fact gives you more bioavailability, pulls out more of the of the uh, better for you botanical that your body can actually use. So uh, we don't do the testing ourselves, but there's uh, well-known science out there that substantiates that fact. Okay. I, I definitely see that. In the case of uh, uh, medicinal mushrooms, not the kinds that make you uh, trip, but just the kinds that help inflammation and cognitive function and all. And alcohol and hot water extraction totally works. But a powder, if you take the same stuff, doesn't do anything like lion's mane. There's people saying, oh, you know, I'll, I'll put some lion's mane powder in my coffee. I'm like, no, I tried that years ago at the Bulletproof Cafe, and it just tastes bad, but it doesn't actually change how you feel But when you get a dual extraction like that. So you're saying, look, the fermentation process, just by virtue of having alcohol, is going to pull some of the unusual fatty compounds out so they're available. It makes sense. Okay. Uh, I want you to educate me 
a little bit because you guys do more than the hard kombucha, which is what caught my eye. It made me want to chat with you guys. Um, you also have hard seltzers and I actually don't really know what a seltzer is <laughs> from an alcoholic perspective. What is this? What does that mean when you say seltzer other than bubbly? It's a, it's a, it's predominantly a bubbly water. I mean, it's just like a non-alk seltzer, you know, it's bubbly water. And so, you know, today it's become an overnight $6 billion category. I mean, like literally six years ago, boom. And so when you see this, you say, what, what's the consumer trend out there? And again, the larger consumer trend, it's about taking the bad out of something, at least in the alcohol space. And these are four and a half, five percent lower alcohol offerings. There has been a movement away from craft beer. They don't want the gluten. They don't want the calories. Yeah. They don't want the sugar. Exactly. So, so in that you know, renaissance of awareness by consumers, this hard seltzer has just absolutely exploded in the alcohol space. And so seeing that happening and understanding that hard kombucha is a, let's just say it's less developed, right? It's, a, it's more crafty. It's, it's a little bit more to grok. You can, people can't even say it. We decided to go and make our do our own fermentation through cat, recapture our own CO2, so we don't have any you know volatile compounds that you get from traditional CO2, a real organic CO2, and make our own hard seltzer that is sugar free <laughs> and carb you know with no carbs. You, you guys actually have organic CO2. <laughs> yeah, we do, and we're and, you know we're the only hard seltzer in America that recaptures from our fermentation the CO2, gets it certified, and and uses it back to carbonate our our beverage. That's actually kind of cool and like. A closed loop sort of way versus buying industrially compressed and extracted stuff. So, totally, right. yeah, yeah, and it, like it, it's really interesting. You can really taste the difference, like when you pull it off your own ferments versus buying it and having it shipped in with, uh, you know. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I, I I like that about what you're doing. It. I'm kind of the same way with coffee. It, it, it's, you, you have to know what's in there, like what happened before, what happened during, what happened after, uh, and and I find that when people get really deep into whatever their field is and yours is, is fermentation, right? There's all these little things that no one would ever think about. And then if you have the time and the resources to, well, what if I did all of it the way I wanted to? I've never thought of, of recycling that, um, but it's a, it's a cool idea. And one of the, the other things uh, that, you're, uh, that you're doing um, that I also appreciate is you're actually donating back to, firefighter, yeah. back to firefighters. Uh, how, I guess that's because you named the company during well, the I mean, fires. Uh, it's, really inter- it's really interesting. So I think I'm, I'm sort of a tactile guy that really wants to touch and feel what my give back is, you know, where I am right now. And so, look, I mean, you know, climate change, fires, hurricanes, flooding, all that stuff is happening. It's real. And so for me, my my most impactful way of dealing with this, I think, is giving right back to the first responders. There's a lot of mental health issues that go on with them yeah. uh, during this time. So we do mental health causes. We went to Austin, Texas to really help out during the flooding and the and the freeze. And we you know, so we we really show up when there is an issue, an acute issue, a problem where we call ground zero to really help those that are really doing what they can uh, in the most immediate way. And it's an important part of our, of our business. And we start, we set up a 501c3 as well to get other corporations and organizations to partner with us so that we can do more and give more in partnership in a nonprofit vehicle. 
Um, that is uh, that is fantastic, and uh, a lot of companies don't uh, just don't have a charitable arm. I, I would say um, back when I was running uh, when I was running Bulletproof, I never did anything formal with Bulletproof. I just did it all personally. But yeah, lots of cool. you know, funding cool. of Alzheimer's research and wells in Africa and and stuff like that. Um, but it it's it's I think it's a good idea to build it into the company, and that's why with uh, with Upgrade Labs now um, I haven't announced our new logo, but we'll be doing some environmental um, donations that's uh, awesome. as well to support uh, wetlands um, because well I kind of feel like we need dirt in order to dirt, do everything. Good dirt. Everything's about good dirt, right? Uh, it sure is. So, well, I mean, you know, grapes, right? So. Yeah. Well, it's all and it's all about the dirt. It's all about the mycorrhizin, the healthy dirt that's ultimately going to enable the vine, if you're in the grapes, to really absorb the nutrients in a most effective way. So it could be the most uh, could have the most amount of polyphenols, and you know, just be the best fruit. And so again, healthy dirt means healthy globe, healthy ecosystem. And oh, yeah, right on, right on, right on, yeah. Uh, and uh, it's funny, fires are a part of healthy dirt, but maybe not the kind of fires <laughs> we've had in California. Yeah, lately. yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's good to have a fire, uh, you know, generationally speaking, but, you know, we have them, um, seems like, uh, you know, yearly, so that's a bit yeah, of Yeah, the, the weekly basis is yeah, not good. totally. For 25 years, I've had a strong passion for understanding the science behind why we age and what we can do about it. One of the most groundbreaking discoveries in the last two decades is senolytics. Senolytics are plant-derived or pharmaceutical ingredients that can help your body drop old, worn-out cells. Scientists call them senescent cells, and in my books, I call them zombie cells. As you age, those senescent cells build up in your body. They live for a long time and they eat up your energy. There is a hack for this. It's called Qualia Synolytic. Your podcast sponsor, Neurohacker Collective, created Qualia Synolytic. It eliminates those zombie cells and has a clinical study that supports its effectiveness. I really felt a difference in how my body moved after just a couple months on Qualia Synolytic. It's upped my energy level even more and my joints feel really good. If you're over 30, and you want to use a clinically tested formula to help you feel younger, try Qualia Synolytic. To get younger now, visit neurohacker.com Dave and try it risk-free for up to 100 days. Use code Dave at checkout to get 15%. That's neurohacker.com Dave. Use code Dave. I, one other thing that I came across when I was um, checking out your work before deciding to do a show Michelada, Michelada, how do you say Mich that? Michelada. It's a, Michelada. you know, look, I mean, some of the fun things that we could do is we could make sort of these fun cocktails out of the kombucha. And Michelada is this incredible sort of spicy mix that you could put into it that makes it, I don't know, just next level flavorful, you know. So, yeah. so it's basically a mixed drink that's made out of hard kombucha. Because I, I know yeah. you've launched 25 different projects because you're, you're a beverage innovator with, you know, with things. So I, I came across, I don't even know what that is. I don't know what language that is. Like, is it Spanish? Is no, that yeah. Italian? It's, 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 it's Spanish. Yeah. yeah so Spanish, it'd be yeah. Meek, not me, Michel. Me, 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 you're me, from me. California. You're supposed to say it right, aren't you? You know, you know I'm originally from uh, the East Coast. So, you know. All right. You butchered, <laughs> you, you butchered it. Actually, half the Spanish words in California are butchered anyway. Um, I used to live in a town called Manteca. And, well, in Spanish, it's Manteca, which means lard. 
because the white guy who named it thought he was naming it. This is funny, guys. He thought he was naming it sweet cream or butter, which is what uh, Montequilla is. But he called it Manteca. So, I, yeah, I went to high school in a town named after lard instead of after butter. But funny enough, I like both of those. So it's like it was ordained. It was meant to be that way. So when I see Michelada, which is how you should say Michelada. it, I'm like, I got it. But when you say Michelada, I'm like, these coast and vapors of California, you think you are. But I'll... I'll forgive you this time, Bill. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> so uh, that explains also why um, why I w- was applying at Gallo, which is right next door in Modesto, California. Uh, so there you go. Now, what's going to happen with alcohol consumption post-COVID? I know you had COVID. I want to talk with you, talk about you with your COVID yeah, experience. Yeah, sure. But people are paying attention to their health. The whole like party scene is blown up. People are sometimes coming back. You've been watching wine for a long time and the whole industry. Where, what's drinking going to look like over the next few years? Yeah, I think it's going to be uh, a, a year or two of probably some excess. You know, I think a lot of people are, have been bottled up. Uh, and no, and you know, look, I think there's a, definitely a, a, a thirst for um, jubilation, celebration. Uh, and you know, um, it's, it's happening. And so again, it's, uh, I think it's going to be something that, um, is going to be a phenomenon this summer when, when the concerts and the festivals come back, um, people are going to really get out there. They're going to move their chi. They're going to express themselves, hopefully drink the right stuff and not drink too much of it. And, um, and really experience life to the fullest. I mean, that's what I think everybody's waiting to do after, you know, the time we've spent, um, you know, kind of, sheltered in so okay so you're you're forecasting a, a rebound jubilant party and by the way historically that appears if you look back at what people do after all the other pandemics that we've had pretty much uh, lots of uh, drunkenness and lots of babies uh, so <laughs> Right. We'll, we'll see what the next couple of years bring us, but they, they might be great fun unless they bring us yet another a marketing campaign for pharmaceuticals um, that's tied to uh, you're not allowed to do anything fun until you buy our product. Um, have you ever thought about doing that with uh, with flying embers, just making it so you have to have a flying embers passport before you can go anywhere? No, no, that's not part of our uh, thinking. Yeah, that's not that was the right answer. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm glad you answered that way, Bill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what happened though? Because you really you got COVID, you got really sick. So uh, yeah. tell me about your experience with COVID. Like, like this is a yeah. a, a real thing. People yeah. don't talk about this as much as they so. Should. So I I really I really didn't uh, I didn't grok how. Uh, impactful COVID could be, I guess, early yeah. on. I mean, I was really right. taking, I was taking 10,000 IUs of vitamin D, zinc, uh, you know, I was doing everything C, um, astaxanthin, you know, I was, I was, you know, I was, there. I was healthy. I'm healthy. I'm vibrant. I'm not, I got my hyperbaric chamber. I got my cryo chamber. I'm doing everything you do. And, and so the, we're in a, we have a manufacturing facility. We, ferment and make our own stuff. We've got a lot of people where we're in mass, but we're essential, right? We're essential. So we were able to go to work and work, which was great. You know, it's one of the great things about being in the food business was, you know, we could actually, we didn't have to be cloistered up in the home and I actually like going on. So, so I was part of the community at work and, you know, we had someone came in and got it and several of us got it at the same time. And I was, I just doubled down on everything and I waited uh, and got, progressively and I started taking ivermectin and was hammering that and you know nine eight days into it 
I was literally unable to breathe. Uh, I had my wow. own oxygen machine because I pulled it out of my hyperbaric. And I'm like, at yeah. night I had oxygen in and I'm like, I'm going to, I don't need to go. I don't need anything. And actually I was one of those guys. I was part of this cohort. There is a cohort of us out there that actually have cytokine storms. And I had yeah. a cytokine storm going on in my lungs where I actually couldn't breathe. And I went into UCLA and you know, I was there almost three weeks. And after time was going on, the oxygen requirement kept going higher and higher and higher. You know, they came in, they said, do you have a DNR? Uh, we're going we're gonna to have to take you in and intubate you. We, we can't get any more oxygen in you. And at that given time, I was like, oh, wow, like this is real. So I call my wife, I call my kids, I say goodbye. I literally say goodbye. Wow. I I do everything I can to, and I realized that there was no more high flow oxygen that I could get. I was at the limit. And just at that time, the, uh, the head of infectious disease at UCLA comes walking by and comes into my room and says, you know, look, we need to, we need to probably find an experimental for your treatment. And I was like, okay, what? And he told me what he thinks he should give me. He goes, we've had some success here. Um, I have to call the FDA to get compassionate use for it because it's not FDA approved. It's still not. Even though he's a doctor who has yeah. a license to do whatever the F he Couldn't, wants uh, and yeah, the FDA yeah. is getting well, the FDA, the FDA <laughs> will not allow doctors to give anything other than what is approved yeah. or what is what is currently part of their clinicals? So this That's was an not, abuse of authority. Uh, so, doctor so, has authority. So so there was so that clinical. Um, so anyway, so he had to go get special permission. Yep. Well, he got it, and he came in, uh, you know, that night and put two shots of the stuff in me, loranolumab, uh, and um, yeah, loranolumab is okay. uh, cytidine is what it's called. And yeah. and and he had a he had a hunch. He saw it work on several other. And, you know, a week later, I was out of the hospital. Uh, that stuff and, is a mast cell treatment. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And there's some yep. interesting applications on it. So it worked for me. And I'm thankful for it. Well, you had a you had a good doctor who was willing to say, hmm, I don't know how to treat this virus, but I know how to treat inflammation. And that's what I've been trained to do for years. I'm head of infectious diseases. Right, right. This is the only pandemic ever where they've forbidden doctors from doing their work. <laughs> well, I mean, I think there's, there's really, there's really the, the, you know, the treatments are, are, are governed and there are, I think there's, there's, hopefully there's going to be more and more treatments, uh, for this, because I think, um, there's a lot of us that'll, that'll end up getting it and great treatments are going to help, help us. So I'm yeah. all about, I'm all about treatment, Dave, all about treatment, treatment is a good thing. And it's, it's interesting, the cytokine storm, we know the cytokine that's most common with this is called IL-6. I'm guessing you had high levels of IL-6, yes, right? Yes, Did you see the post I wrote in the first two months of the pandemic about how to stop IL-6? Ah, no, I didn't see it. No, you didn't, because it got taken down. Oh, <laughs> well, there you go. There yeah. You go. yeah. Interesting yeah. how that works. Yeah. But yeah. there's a bunch of herbals with very potent IL-6 suppressing properties. I know about that because toxic mold people like me have had mold exposures. Um, we tend to, if we have the, the genetics for that, we tend to have relatively high IL-6. So I know how to suppress it. And it's not even that hard <laughs> with botanicals. <laughs> um, but... Uh, apparently talking about that isn't okay. So I, I didn't, uh, you know, but it, it's one of those things where um, I think 
that when people are using botanicals regularly that help to regulate inflammation, even if they're drinking, uh, even if they're eating pizza and cheesecake, which is probably not a great idea, perhaps we can keep a healthy enough balance that um, we're less likely to get as sick as you did. And like you said, you're in that cohort. It's probably a genetic thing. Uh, and it could be an environmental thing where, you know, your mast cells were triggered to be more, uh, you know, more sensitive than others. But I'm happy you made it. I'm happy yeah. you, you share the story because people say, oh, you know, it's not real. Actually, no, there is something going around. It, it's real. And, and people say, oh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm invulnerable because I insert name of health practice. No, you're just more resilient. And there you go. Right, right. You're sitting here in front of us, right? Like you had some resilience and you had good care. Like right. who would have thought? So. I'm, I'm happy you made it. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah. Uh, and thanks for sharing your story because uh, there's there's so much polarization there. Um, Look, I, I think, I think yeah, I think what, what I realize is that, you know, everybody has their own right to have their own view, right? I mean, really, that's it. And, and, and we, we control our own bodies. We want to be a choice. And, uh, and really, there's no judgment around. For me, my, my view in now is that there's no judgment. If there's no judgment whether... You're for or against something. You want to follow or you don't want to follow. At the end of the day, everybody has their own individual right and choice. And, um, and, that's, and that freedom is really important. You know, it's really important. Very well said. And it, it's funny. It, I think it's a 5 to 10% of people are the shrill, angry people at either end of the debate. You have like the, the super keto, another carb is a bad thing versus like the super vegans. Like, oh my goodness, a, a, you know, a bug touched that. I can't eat it. Right, they're extreme minorities, and then when you get to alcohol, some people are like I'm a teetotaler. If you have one drop of alcohol in your vanilla extract, you're a bad person, right? And then you get the you know if you don't drink a six pack every day, you're a bad person. You're less of a man, you know. It, it but th those are outliers, and most people are are in the middle. But we don't talk about it because we're in the middle. <laughs> I think when it comes to stuff like you know treatment of pandemics and all, most people are someone in the middle. They're curious, interested, and okay with it. So I. I would just encourage people listening. It's, it's, it's okay to be in the middle and to be curious and just say, you know, I'm going to make a call, whether it's I'm going to have some alcohol, I'm going to have a lot or a little, you know, I'm, it's okay. Like, like, you don't have to judge other people. So okay, right uh, on, right on. I, yeah. Especially given that you've had it and it made you really sick, that you're supporting medical freedom. I, I appreciate that as well. That, that's cool. All right. You've now convinced me. Uh, that uh, if and when I get an alcohol license, probably just for my Victoria restaurant, that I'm going to have to have your stuff. Um, you said on tap? Is, is it available? It's on tap. Canada? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We, we have. We can about, just in Canada, we, not just in. Yeah, we're in right. Canada. We're in Canada. Yeah. Okay. We're actually, yeah, we're just. This is there. a commitment. No, if, if that happens right now, we're open for an early dinner. And, but and I'll fly yeah. and I'll come up. And I know that you don't drink, but we'll we'll no, have. I'll, a, I'll drink. I, we'll I don't drink very often. Uh, we'll, have a, we'll, we'll, have, we'll have a hard kombucha. <laughs> uh, I would be honored to toast you with one uh, at the uh, at the Upgrade Cafe. So uh, I will do that. I I don't know how much it costs or how long it takes to get a liquor license, but I think we're going to just because it's a nice dinner place. I, I mean, I I grow the pigs, I grow the veggies, the land myself, <laughs> and like bring it to the restaurant. It's my highest and best offering. Oh, so how awesome. can I have dinner and make it special? That sounds okay. awesome. Uh, that sounds so I'm, I'm stoked I can get in Canada. Thank you for supporting Canadians. Uh, and just thanks for taking an industry that's full of a lot of like – soda equivalents but with alcohol and doing something that's different and special so if you're going to have some alcohol you got a good choice i i think you've done something good there yeah awesome thank you
Would you, uh, would you like to take a couple questions from our live audience? Sure. All right. Upgrade Collective. If you want to ask a question of an alcohol innovator, anything about kombucha, stuff like that, now is your chance. Raise your hand. Bonnie looks like she's thinking about it. Or Deborah. Deborah has a question. There you go. Deborah, go for it. Hi. Um, I find that a lot of my clients avoid kombucha because it makes them gassy. Mm-hmm. And um, that sometimes it can feed the not so good gut bacteria. Uh, does flying embers help contribute to the good guys or the bad guys? Or can you? Yeah. Well, I think I think gassy has a lot to do with yeasty, uh, and so yeah. So for you know, and and it's got to be the right yeast, and it can't be too much yeast. So yeah, no, we don't get you know one doesn't get, and also sugar really kind of you know the gut fermentable sugars that. That end up in your stomach, and you you know your whole microbiome gets uh, gets the yeast and gets the sugar, and the next thing you know you get gassy. So we don't have sugar; we have the right kind of yeast, and you don't get gassy with us. But uh, I think that's the cause. Uh, that is a, a really good answer, Bill and Deborah. Brewer's yeast, which is sometimes people take it because it's a B vitamins, it's actually associated with cancer on PubMed studies. It's not a good thing. Brewers and bakers yeast. And that's Saccharomyces cervicae, and I'm probably saying that wrong, C-E-R-V-I-S-A-E. Cervaceae. Cervaceae, there you go. You can tell I've read it 10,000 times and written books with it, but I don't say that a lot. Michelada, Michelada. Uh, Michelada. (laughs) (laughs) And then you have Boyardi, which is the good stuff. And the Boyardi is what eats the bad stuff, including Candida, including uh, the brewers and bakers. And it's the stuff that calms the immune system. So you got something with zero sugar to feed the bad stuff and something with stuff that eats the bad stuff. You're not going to get gas from that. If you do get gas, it's probably because you have candida and then there's some sort of a fight between the Boyardi and the candida. But then you already had gas. At least when I had candida for years, I sure had gas. So um, that was a great question. All right. Uh, let's see. All right, Deborah, uh, you had a follow-up question there. Oh, yeah. What's in the Michelada? Michelada. Can we get the recipe for that? We won't tell anybody. I swear. Just yeah. No, I, I'm actually my part. My partner's sitting here, and he's like saying, uh, what, what, "What's in there?" So, well, it's a, it's a, it's a special. Uh, hang on a second. Let me just make sure. So it, um, uh, it's on the website. <laughs> <laughs> Flyingembers.com. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's on the website. But, uh. Anyone else want to ask a question? I, that was an awesome question, Deborah. <laughs> All right, we've got one more here from Brandon Wilson. So, uh, Bill, that story about your COVID experience was just amazing. And I just wanted to ask, having gone through that, did you make any significant changes in terms of, you know, an inventory of your life and behavior and, you know, any changes after that experience? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, certainly. I mean, what I realize uh, is really all you have is time and and family and, and the amount of time you spend um, or we waste uh, kind of with frivolous drama oriented stuff or things you really don't love or resonate with, I'm, I'm systematically cutting them out of my life. Um, so it definitely brought home to me what's most important and really how, you know, how we never know when it's our time. And, and there's something very sobering about that when it comes to, you know, um, our choices that we make. So, Yeah. Actually, you know, my, my next venture is actually going to be, uh, you know, uh, another one more beverage in me that's going to be something that's more of a nootropic. Um, and so I'm thinking about that, saying, okay, is this next venture I have, this next innovation, is it going to be 
something that's really I'm really going to resonate with. Uh, and so when it comes to that, you got to resonate with everything all the time. No compromise, bottom line. So love that. What a, a yeah. powerful answer. Yeah. Fully support it. Right. Bonnie, you got a question. Yeah, Bill, I'm just curious as to where you get your inspiration for all the fun flavors. I was out on the website earlier in the podcast. Yeah. It just looks super fun. Well, you know, you know, we get around a room, we have an innovation sort of meeting, and we've got uh, a lot of people around the table that come up with new ideas, and, you know, we debate them. Uh, so it's a, it's a, we source uh, creative ideas collectively, um, and so it's really, it's really not one source. Um, there are whole flavor houses I've worked with uh, when I was developing recipes for the the Bulletproof Diet Cookbook and for the cafe, and it is a crazy science. But what you're limiting yourself with is you're using real flavorings versus all the weird stuff. And I'm like, guys, if you won't tell me whether that's petroleum-based, I'm not touching that. So even like natural flavors aren't that natural, but some of them are fine and some of them aren't, and extracts and all. So it's, it's really tough. I, I think flavoring, it, it's... It's such a specialty when you're saying I'm organic. It takes away all the weird chemistry, and then you've got to really do the hard work. So, right, your right. are good. yeah, you definitely get limited. Uh, we're all certified organic, so you know we're not. Uh, yeah, we can't concoct anything that is uh, too crazy because it really has to be an organic source from a natural, uh, uh, plant-based. Cool. That was a that was a really good question because it's uh, flavoring. Any kind of cooking is is as much art as it is science. Well, Bill, I'm. I want to also extend a thanks. Uh, I ask when people come on the show, uh, provide a discount. When people go to flyingembers.com slash Dave, you're giving them 15% off all orders. I'm assuming you have to be 21 or maybe in Canada, 18, whatever the right ages are. Right. And uh, I, that's cool. So flyingembers.com slash Dave, or use code Dave. And I, I think you're just taking a clean, healthy approach. Everything is mold tested. Everything's histamine tested. You know what species are doing it. You're using probiotic proper species. There's no random yeast in there. So this is the kind of kombucha that you can drink if you tolerate alcohol, which most people do in low doses. And you can have a celebratory beverage. Uh, so it's cool. And I am going to put this in my restaurant if I get an alcohol <laughs> license. So that's awesome. Thanks for convincing me. And yeah. just for attention to detail, that's what makes stellar brands and stellar products that are that are safe to use. So good awesome. call. Thank you, Dave. Yeah. That, and follow, you know, following your lead as well, the testing, the purity, knowing that science is really the most important thing, I think, for for any of us these days, given the state of the world and the state of our ecosystem. So well, we'll fix it uh, one one plant at a time, one cubic meter of soil at a time, and organic, you're doing it. So thank you, brother. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. If you liked today's episode, you know what to do. A couple things. One, we'll try some flying embers. If you're going to have some alcohol, you, can, you just learned why that's a good idea. You might also consider joining the Upgrade Collective. Why? Because you could have been in the live audience asking questions and chatting back and forth with me during this, which is a lot of fun. And I'll teach you everything that I've written in classes with other people who care about it. So you can have fun, it's structured, and you can be a biohacker of your own biology. And then you would know when you read the label on Flying Embers, should I drink this, even if you didn't hear this episode? And you'd probably say yes. <laughs> have a great day. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. 
The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.